Welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click, the e-commerce podcast for brands looking for their next growth opportunities. If you're interested in improving your conversion rates, average order values, and customer lifetime value, head over to customerswhoclick.com where you can find all our previous episodes and get in touch if you'd like to learn more. Today, we've got a treat for all you e-commerce enthusiasts. Joining us is Tracy Loranjo, an expert on harnessing the voice of customer. We're set to discuss the invaluable insights that can be gleaned from customer feedback and the key role that customer service plays in gathering this information. Are you ready to discover the secret to truly understanding your customers? Let's get started with Tracy now. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind uh, giving us a bit of an introduction, a uh, bit of your background and how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. And first off, thanks so much for having me on the show today. I'm very excited to be here. So I am a fractional conversion optimization and experimentation leader. So essentially, long story short, you can hire me onto your in-house team to really guide and coach your team through maybe your first conversion optimization program and get the program running. And uh, specialist experimentation agencies also like to hire me on to do a lot of operations work for them. So streamlining their processes and uh, yeah, just kind of making things move a lot smoother there. So I love what I do. I'm self-employed today, but I was in optimization for a few years before then, I was in two in-house roles and one agency role where I led the research and data team and also had a lot of different clients to work with. Before then, I really did all kinds of different full stack digital marketing, not really knowing what I enjoyed doing. But there came a point where I was doing paid media and my leadership team, three amazing women said, Tracy, we see a lot of potential for you in conversion optimization. We want to uh, roll you into a conversion optimization role. And it just kind of started from there. So I do that by day. I sometimes host Experiment Nation, the podcast. And I also host a podcast with my colleague Shiva Manjunath. And we it's called From A to B. It's great. It's been a great time. We just hit 500 followers today. And we pretty much talk about... Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it feels really good. And we pretty much talk about just underrated people in experimentation and topics that we don't think people are talking about enough in experimentation. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting journey. It's, it sounds quite similar to mine, except I wasn't encouraged into CRO. I just kind of forced it yes. and said, this is what I'm doing because uh, personally, I'm not too fussed about the advertising side, but also... I could see that you know there were problems not related to the advertising side yeah. that were holding businesses back. And I said, someone's got to fix this. Exactly. So it might as well be me. Exactly. Very similar situation here. And I've spoken to just through having podcasts, and I'm sure you can empathize with this. Most experimenters or conversion optimizers just fall into it. That's what everyone says. I just fell into it. Yeah. So yeah, it's not something they teach in school, but I love that you have this resource to get people into the practice. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, how, how do you get customers clicking? Mm -hmm. And my response might be a little underwhelming, but it's simply just listen to them. Find a way to make them feel heard, observe their behavior, understand them, and give them an avenue to voice their preferences and their needs and make sure that avenue is a direct line to decision makers and apply their feedback when it makes sense to. So pretty much, yeah, listen to customers and that will get them clicking. Yeah, I think it makes sense, really. I mean, everyone, well, not everyone, 
CROs focus on data. Yeah. A lot of other people focus on you know what they think is going to move the needle or quite often what their competitors are doing. Yes. But it's just, there's so much value in, like you say, listening to customers and, well, I suppose we'll get into this mm-hmm. in a sec, but it's not just... It's not just having to actually go and speak to them Mm -hmm. and listen to them. You you don't have to run focus groups or anything like that. So do you want to tell us a bit about, yeah, like I guess voice of customer and and why is that important to CRO? Yeah. So I'll kind of rewind to when I first started in CRO. I had no idea what voice of customer was. Kind of to your point, I thought CRO was, it's like a checklist. It's a list of best practices or You see what competitors are doing or what e-commerce darlings are doing and just taking inspiration from there and trying it out yourself. Then I was introduced to voice of customer, this whole concept of taking the customer's needs, their wants, their preferences, and their aversions, the things that they don't want in their experience, and listening to that. So pretty much what that started to look like for me was actually looking at customer reviews mining those for themes. What are the common pain points? What are the common compliments? And using that to inform, you know, a problem-focused testing strategy. I think my favorite part of voice of customer research is customer support tickets or live chat tickets, because that is going to directly tell you what is holding customers from purchasing or taking that desired action. So, Things like that, surveys, just any method that takes the customer's feedback that you can put into a theme and turn into a problem-solving statement, that to me is voice of customer. And it's so important because it literally helps you make better decisions right on the spot. It, yeah. I think there's a lot of incentive to not do voice of customer research for a few reasons, which I can definitely get into. But Ultimately, it's worth it. It's not easy to do. It does take some time, but ultimately, it, it helps you make better decisions. Why would you not listen to the person who keeps the lights on, which is your customer? Yeah, exactly. Like they, they know what they want. They know what their problems are and what they're trying to achieve with your products. They know what they like about your products, what they dislike yes. about it, your competitors as well. Yes. So going out and you know on the, on the review side, just opening up your reviews and having a look and seeing what people are saying about your business. Now, I think reviews is something where everyone knows they need them, Yes. right? But it's almost seen as a, we need to be collecting them and we need to display them on the website and that's it. Yes, it's seen as a- That's where the value is. Yeah, it's seen as a social proof tool and not a intelligence tool. And I think where you really start to see- the dangers of that mindset is when a voice of customer, a piece of voice of customer insight directly conflicts with maybe what the leadership team wants. So there are a lot of ways to get around that. But I think this is a very common challenge that a lot of new optimizers face when starting to front that voice of customer program. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So why don't we talk about, let, let's focus more on the customer service side. Because I think, again, I guess it is probably worse than reviews, actually, because I think a lot of people see it as a cost center, but that's a very different conversation. How do you, yeah, how do you gather feedback for the purposes of like voice of customer, you know, advertising improvements and things? Yeah. How do you go about gathering that from customer service? 
I suppose like how do you get that, that buy-in from mm. them to actually introduce you know it's going to be introducing some new procedures into their workflow to them gather that data properly yeah honestly I have found that getting customer supports buy-in is the easiest part of the whole process it's more decision makers and your leadership team who may have more resistance to it just because it is an extra initiative but a customer support team is so used to having their thoughts ignored. They're so used to having relayed customer insight to a team and have that be dismissed. So to have an ally in another division who is just as eager about taking the customer's voice and turning it into something live, they love it. Members of the customer support team, I'll use an example my very first time using voice of customer was at a startup called Willful. They help all Canadians write their will online. It's a very okay. complicated activity that you're doing and they really streamline it. But I still noticed there were a lot of complaints coming through about, I'm not sure what to do next in this process or what is this going to look like for me? So I essentially went to my customer support lead and I told her, hey, I really want to take what you're seeing every day from customers and put it forward to the decision makers and make sure this gets solved because it also helped my goal as a conversion optimization manager on that team. It's an al- it's an alliance. So you just made reminded me of one thing that that pops up a lot. So right, FAQs frequently asked i think people forget that it's frequently asked questions yes and not the pieces of information we want to tell people yes and just customer service is a perfect example of gathering that frequently asked questions yes. and then getting that information on the page yes and just the amount of times you open up an faq on a website and it's just rubbish yeah it's so um, true yeah it's a lot of the times faqs are used as kind of like a branding exercise and it's like Customers are not actually asking this question. You really see the FAQs during the process of coding your customer support tickets into themes. So yeah, long story short, the way to get buy-in from your customer support team, for a few things, create that alliance with them. Show them how much you care about getting those insights in front of the people who make decisions and getting those decisions live and testable. And also make the process easy, as easy as possible for the customer support team to the point where all they need to do is export tickets over the last 30, 60, 90 days, whatever it might be. They hand it off to you and you say, I'll see you in a couple of days. I'm going to put these into themes. I'm going to show you what I found and then engage them in that process. If there's anything missing, let them chip in, let them say what else they think is missing. But have them be part of that process and make it as easy as possible for them. Later down the line, if you can automate a lot of those parts of the process, I think that really helps. And just having that repository. Well, I mean, yeah, nowadays it's, it's so easy, right? You know, I remember when, the, I mean, this was probably seven, seven, eight years ago now working for one particular company. And we were doing quite a lot of work in the customer service space because we saw the opportunity there. But we were looking at it from a, we basically had one customer service guy who I think the majority of the week, his job was actually onboarding customers. So he did outbound mm-hmm. to them to get them to verify their their ID, their driving license and all that sort of stuff so they could use our platform. 
and then he actually he, he was surprisingly good at getting people to actually make a booking over mm-hmm. the phone with him which is fantastic but this so back then when a customer service agent selected a templated response it would just automatically apply the relevant mm-hmm. tags right so you so just it's so easy to say you know if someone is emailing me about yeah. you could look at your frequently asked questions for this if they're asking us x question then build a template for that so we can answer it really quickly and then apply the relevant labels so that when that export comes over to marketing team cro person or whatever you've already got those kind of broader categories in yeah. place yeah. and some of it could be just pre-customer post-customer yeah. some of it will be shipping and stuff related and then you just plug it into chat gpt yeah i get that to tell you what i love that you brought up tags i think it's really important that as an optimizer working with a CX team that you have the same shared language about your themes and the problems that are coming up with customers. So for example, when I was at this organization, Willful, and we were seeing the frustrations that people had when they were writing their will, I made a point to work with our CX team and say, okay, whatever you're tagging the tickets, whatever these common problems are, let me know what they are because I'm going to use that language myself internally and we can make sure that we have this shared understanding of what it is that we're trying to solve here and what keeps coming up. So that does happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine a common question is probably something on the lines of like, who is allowed to be a witness mm-hmm. for signing yes. a will, right? So that's a really simple yes. one. You just have a tag for witnesses. Yes, absolutely. And then you see how many times that pops up. And then, I mean, that's a... I would say a reasonable, simple one to then put that information on the website in your FAQ maybe and say, who is allowed to sign, who is allowed to witness my signature mm-hmm. and just really clearly lay it Yeah. I think when we were working with that, that did come up a lot, but we were also noticing questions about witnesses that were totally unrelated to who can be my witness. They were just, they were adjacent and needed, a, they needed a human or some sort of processing mind to make sense of it yeah. where I really saw some interesting insights come up. Visitors would come to the site and say, what do the documents look like? What can I expect to see at the end of this process? And that is something that we would not have known unless we really mined through customer support tickets. And that was an initiative jointly owned by customer support and myself as CRO. Okay, yeah, got it. So... So Maybe they're wondering whether they can sign it online or wh- whether they have to sign it online or whether it has to, well, I suppose, whether it has to be done printed. You're going to get, you're going to get different people looking at it different ways, actually, which reminds me of when I sold my, when I was selling my flat and buying a house, despite it being regarding the legal team, incredibly stressful because they were not very good <laughs> on like deadline day. Like we're, we're really, I mean, we're really close to the deadline or well, it would both transactions would have collapsed because we we were in a we had a tax holiday, like kind of after COVID. So if we'd missed that, then we we, we would have had to pay all the tax mm-hmm. on the transactions. So we're getting really close to the deadline, and they've said we're going to post this to you, and you can sign it and send it back to us. I'm like, why can't we do this yeah. online? Yeah, why? That would be my preference. I know online signatures are legal. Yeah. Why can't we do this? Yeah. You know, at, during my time there at Willful, Canada really did make some changes to 
be a bit more digital friendly when it came to signing wills and creating wills online, especially because that was during the pandemic. You weren't really seeing people in person to have them witness your will. So that was definitely a yeah. challenge, but it was as basic as customers didn't want to spend hundreds of dollars on a document that they had no idea what it looked like. They wanted to know, is this legit? Just <sighs> something to tell them what they're getting out of this process I, I suppose with, with stuff like that where it's such a like traditional industry where you go to a lawyer that lawyer drafts it up for you yeah. you sign it in front of a witness to then be able to do it online by just quickly filling out a form yeah i suppose you would be thinking well hang on I, i've been told to expect it to cost at least a couple hundred mm -hmm. and now you're telling me i mean th there's one here called Fairwill, yes which yes. I, I believe it's like 20 pounds yes or £20 a year you pay, mm -hmm. although you don't have to pay. If you're paying the fee, then you're allowed to update it as many times as you like for yes. free. If you're not paying the fee, then you just have a static will. Yes, yes. Right, which is absolutely fine. So I can see why some people would be like, why is this so cheap? Yeah, there's a lot of trust that you need to build through that process. So what we pretty much said was, hey, why don't we put together a sample document that can't be stolen, it has no personally identifiable information, and test it. See what happens if this goes live on site and are people more likely to create accounts and to start initiating the process of purchasing? Or what happens if we test a sample document that fills out maybe the first page of this potential customer's will? Just little things like that give you test ideas, but are informed by voice of customer. And you wouldn't know this unless you spoke to a customer directly or you aggregated all of their feedback. Exactly. And a lot of time, you know, the, the way we approach CRO is, you know, if every test should have at least two to three ideas for how it should be executed. Mm -hmm. With the idea being that the second and third are going to be a little bit more detailed because normally the first one is when you that idea gets sparked in your head and you think, oh, that's what we should do. Mm. Then you think about it for a bit and you say, well, maybe we can do something better. So that first version might be, let's have an FAQ and put, you will receive a physical mm. document or and you will receive a digital mm -hmm. copy. And then you think, well, actually, maybe it should be, like you've said, a, we should show them what this looks like so that they can see what looks like a formal legal document right now. And that's the bit that gets people saying, Absolutely. yeah. You kind of reminded me of there's a company called Groove, okay. which I feel like I've mentioned. I've been mentioning on the podcast a lot recently. They introduced me to the idea of first contact resolution okay. in customer service, which is where you're anticipating future questions based on the question they have. So it's not just answering a question, but then also plugging in your own little F, you know customer service FAQ on there. It's you know if someone is saying who is allowed to witness this document being signed, then you might know that 80% of people who ask that question follow up with, oh, am I going to receive a physical document? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. And then you say, yeah, you're allowed to get these people to sign it and we will be sending you a document. It looks like this. Please see the attached example document or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you just you answer that question so much quicker Yeah, and you get people in people's hands. Absolutely. I think there's something to be said about automating a response if it comes up enough. But at the same time, one thing that Willful did very well, in my view, was they took all of these common questions, these 
real FAQs, not the brand FAQs, but the real FAQs. Yeah. And they turned it into a learn center, which was a resource for new customers or prospective customers to go and really understand the end-to-end process. And it was all based off of the most common questions that came up. So you can toss a customer a link to their questions so that they can kind of self-serve. They can do it themselves, but just know, hey, there's a real human here behind a screen who can guide you if you have more questions. So it's not just a matter of coming up with test ideas. It's also what can you build on your site to just make a much better experience, period, for your customers? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you know, going back to the buy-in point, if you just go to your customer service team and say, what are your most common questions that pop up? If you let me know, I can get them answered on the website and we can probably cut 80% of those tickets from you. Mm-hmm. We'll make your life easier. Yeah. Um, Oftentimes when that happens and you kind of just ask, what do you see? Things get missed. There's also those complaints or those concerns that come up infrequently, but are still major pain points for the visitor. So for I've found that it's helpful to just get an export from the team and do the work up front for them. So they're not thinking, they're not racking their brain trying to remember, oh, what do I see most often throughout a month as a concern? I just do it for them, but also ask them, like, is there anything here that you don't think is reflected in the insight? Yeah, I think that's a really great point, actually. And I've got an example mm-hmm. about that. I, th- I When you're asking people, what are the most, what are some of the most common objections that come up or whatever, or common pain points or whatever, what can actually happen is people pick up the unusual mm-hmm. ones. So they might hear, you know, do you have a returns, do you have a free returns policy a thousand times a week? And so it just, they just become numb to, you know, sending out that template. But then someone comes up with some random question and that's the one they say, oh yeah, this one came up a couple, a, f- a few times this week. It seemed really common. I did this with, what was it? A survey. Yeah. A customer survey we sent out for a client and we were asking like, what's, what's your, what, what's the main reason you use this, this pillow? And, you know, obviously we were seeing lots of neck pain, shoulder pain, which were, you know, w- what we kind of knew were some of the, the top topics anyway, but stiffness came up. And as I was running through these things, I noticed stiffness and I was like, oh, okay, that's a really interesting, that could be a really interesting angle to go with. And then once I finished analyzing the document and did the count, I think stiffness appeared twice, yeah, three times. Yeah. There are going to be things that appear infrequently, but are either things that you can ignore or things that you should really look for on a deeper level. If you see it come up so often that it's like, okay, we only had five of this type of comment come up, but it comes up five times every single month. That makes me wonder how many people are experiencing that frustration or that that friction, but they're just not saying anything. I, I believe it's one in 23. Oh, so we actually have a stat I think is this stat. Yeah. This, it might, it might be, but it should, I guess it should still, it's probably still roughly the same. For every one person that asks the question or, or makes a complaint or whatever, there are 23 people who they just they don't get the answer to that question and they just leave. Yeah. And I'm sure that the more invested you are in the process, let's say you created your account and you started building your will, you might be more likely to raise those pain points because 
you've already put some time and effort into the process. But if I click on an ad, I go to a landing page and I don't have the, I don't understand what the product is. I'm not going to go through the effort of asking the customer support team, what is this? I'm just going to leave. Yeah, you're not bought in enough. No. So you're looking at landing page thinking, all right, fine. It's an online will tool. Yep. Is is it legit? I don't know. Yeah. You know, is it? You could be asking yourself, is this actually a legally binding yep. will? And you can't see that on the page, and you just go because you're not going to waste your time. Absolutely. But I, I suppose in a similar way for ecom brands, obviously, the there are fewer people in the checkout phase than on the the PLPs, the PDPs. So your most common questions are normally product related, or they might be things like free shipping free returns when people are on you know they like the product and they're thinking cool yeah let's get it yep. those are going to be more common you might get one question a week yeah related to something in the checkout yeah and that's simply because the sample size is so much smaller mm-hmm. right but you've got really high intent people asking that question and if multiple people are actually bouncing because they don't have the answer to that then that's something you need to pay attention to yeah. so maybe actually looking at where the request is coming yeah. from so if, if you've got live chat for example if people are opening live chat on your shipping page, you absolutely should be looking at that thinking, we need to fix this. Absolutely. And, and make sure we get that information. Absolutely. I think there are two things that you said, this whole thing that you just said right now, it made me think of two things that you can do to actually just make the most out of maybe a small volume. So first off, when I see something, especially in the checkout, and if screen recordings are set up for the checkout, I immediately look into the checkout and see, okay, what this visitor has told us, I want to investigate this. And the second thing is, I spoke with Joris Bryan, who is, he's an amazing person. He started the Dexter agency. I think he's in Europe. Yeah, I know. Yes. Yeah. He's been on the podcast, actually. Yeah, we had him quite early on. Yeah, Yeah. I spoke with him one day and he told me something that I'll never forget, which is every user counts. So even though you only see something come up twice, don't ignore it because every user counts. What they are dealing with, this one person in the checkout might be many people in the checkout. So just go through your screen recording, see if this is a common pattern and do your due diligence, deep dive. Customer support often doesn't have access to tools like screen recordings, heat maps, all those tools to validate customer. But that's something that I can do to continue building that alliance with them. I will do it for them. I'll give them more information and treat every user like every user counts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, like like we said, especially further down the funnel yeah. where, you know, these people are ready to get their credit cards yes. out. If you've got one person saying, "Oh, I mean it could be something like, why do you need to, why do you need my yes. phone number?" Yes. Right? You get that one person who finally asks the question to customer support of why do you need my phone number and this particularly applies to anyone using magento mm-hmm. and it's still got the default the default tooltip which i believe is something like four order questions mm-hmm. which doesn't make any yeah. sense to anyone yeah if you get that one person asking that question yeah you need to be thinking yeah we, we should explain this to a lot more people because yeah. how many people don't want to give their phone number because they think they're just going to get sms messages yeah. Phone number is a big one that I see. I saw this more so when I was working with consumer products in the Shopify flow. Sometimes your retailer will 
add the phone number field and not put any sort of elaboration as to why it's there. No, it's not because we're opting you into SMS. It's because we want to let you know if your delivery is delayed, things like that. And it's such an easy thing to elaborate on, but people don't recognize that it's a friction point until someone steps in and says, as an advocate of the visitor or the customer, hey, they're really not clear on why you need phone number. Should you change this or should you remove it altogether? It, that's a big business decision. The challenges come through when what the customer wants is not what the leadership team wants. The leadership team may say, yeah. but that's how we run our SMS program. That's how we you know, get more subscribers and sell more. So that is where the challenge really comes through is rectifying that misalignment between what the customer wants and what leadership wants. Yeah, but I think, I, I know we hear this a lot about like com- company journey versus customer journey. Yeah. Like what does the company want people to do? What does the customer want to do? I think there are just some times when people genuinely have implemented SMS for order tracking purposes. Mm-hmm. And when they're setting up, they're thinking, oh, customers will love this because they'll get SMS reminders yeah. about you know when their delivery is coming and stuff and what their order status is. What, why would they not want to opt mm-hmm. into that? And then they forget to actually justify it on the page. You know, there's that thinking that we've implemented this here for this reason. So when the customer arrives, they probably think, oh, that must be for my order updates as well. Yeah. But y- you've got to explain it. And it's why quite a lot of the time when we're looking at exit, like exit intent surveys on PDPs, so many times we get questions around free shipping, mm-hmm. free shipping, or, or just generally shipping costs returns and for one retailer we've got so many people asking about a new customer offer yeah and all three of these things were part of the user journey right you had a pop-up almost immediately for the discount right so obviously this feedback is telling us people close the pop-up right because they're not ready for it yet of course and the other pieces of feedback are telling us you may have this on the page but if no one's scrolling to it and seeing it it's not there yes 100%. And that's another reason why it's not just voice of customer. It's also using those behavioral analytics tools like heat maps. It's, I always see the light bulb go off when I show a team this section of your homepage that you have spent an hour fighting about. Only 5% of people actually see it. So why are we talking about this? It's just little things like that that give you the full picture of what the customer is doing. We make so many assumptions when we build things that it's like, oh, the customer's going to love this. No, you're going to love it and your boss is going to love it, but it doesn't yeah. the customer will. Yeah, it's always, yeah, it's on the page. Yeah. It's there on the page. Well, no one can see it. Or it's in the it's in the footer, but you've got a limitless yes. scroll PLP. Oh, I hate that. But no, no one gets to the I footer. I hate that. Yeah. That's just Those are things you don't know until you um, actually ask and take the time to find out. I know that there must be a a proper term or more coherent explanation for this, but it's when people are making these changes all in isolation, Mm -hmm. right? So they're looking at the product, their product listing page and going, oh, we should do limitless scroll. Oh, then they look at their footer on a different page, obviously, and say, oh, let's get our free shipping information Mm -hmm. there. And then just not linking it up and thinking, well, what if someone clicks on this page and then decides to look at it? Mm -hmm. But yeah, just what you were saying earlier about heat maps and things, 
it's just a great yeah it's a great way of just linking everything up right so if you're getting people asking you know what is your shipping policy you know obviously in in my case it's the client saying well the information's on the website i don't know what they're complaining about you open up the heat maps or the session record or the scroll maps and you can say look i think also we make a lot of assumptions about the best places and ways to present information and we fall back on best practices oh yeah people want to know about the free shipping information we just put in the footer well maybe the customer is not looking at the footer they don't think to look for free shipping information in the footer that might be intuitive for some shoppers maybe most shoppers but there's always going to be those individuals who want to see that information on the product page when they're deciding do i want this product or in their cart or in their checkout where can you reinforce the most common questions across the entire journey, not just that one spot where you think it should go? Yeah, and what's really interesting is brands know that these are key selling points, and yet for some reason there's a bit of hesitancy about basically putting them right in front of people's faces. Same with free returns. There's a lot of hesitancy about displaying this, even though they offer it. And I've tested this quite a few times and related to just you know the the mention of it but also the the term of it and i've always seen a positive result by making free returns more visible and i've never seen a increase in returns rate by making returns more visible and extending the returns period yes i think that i've definitely encountered this exact situation as well i think a brand team may say oh, if we're promoting the fact that we do free returns, our return rate is going to go up and we may give the impression of a low quality product when that's not necessarily the case. Of course, you want to test it. You really want to find out the the truth. But, you know, there's something to be said about trying it, seeing how your customers respond and then acting accordingly because we make so many assumptions in our day-to-day. I mean, with one client, we went from they had the, the kind of statutory 14-day mm-hmm. return policy. We increased it to 30 days, decent increase in conversion rate and no impact in returns. In fact, returns rate came down mm-hmm. over that period because they they fixed some product issues. Mm-hmm. Then interestingly, we increased it to 100 days, which was kind of similar to some other brands in their category. And the increase to 100 days had almost no impact yeah. on, on anything. Yeah. So it's like, why, you know, why are brands offering 100-day yeah. trials? It, it makes me wonder, I, don't, I know this happens so much, people cop- copying competitors and other companies, but yeah, they're seeing other brands do 100 days and they say, well, now we have to do it because that's the expectation. Absolutely. And actually, you know, what you were saying about does it cheapen a brand or whatever, people don't want to return. Yeah. People still want to, they still want to buy products that they want. They don't want the money leaving their account and then having to wait for it to come back. They want to buy a product they want, and they want their returns policy to be that fallback option if they don't like it. Where I do see returns going up is where there's a free returns policy on a low-value item, Mm -hmm. which is also discounted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder why that is. Did you get any sort of explanation for why that happens? I think it's just so Mm de-risked that people are just like, well, why not? Why wouldn't I? If I don't like it, especially, I think it's a really reasonably small thing that you know you can return easily. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I did this, I've done this with a standing desk before, 
But I knew that because I was making quite a big commitment and because it's Amazon, I was like, yeah, go on, then I'll do this. So I bought a standing desk that goes on top of a desk, yes. tested it out. And I realized that due to my setup, because I've got two monitors on a stand and it that didn't work with that standing desk. So I still just tested it out really quickly. And I was like, yep, yeah, I think I'll like this. So I returned that and then bought a proper one. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a bit of an edge case. And it was only because it's Amazon. And I know that's super, super easy to do that. I've had a certain- Oh, yeah, I've had a similar thing where I bought a an organizer for my desk and I thought it was going to be great for my setup, but it just didn't work out. And I wonder how many people say that we return their products and relay that feedback back to the retailer. I didn't. I don't know if you did. No, because it's Amazon. Yeah, it's, exactly. For, for it, it, retailer. I mean, I rarely, I can't remember the last time I returned something outside of Amazon mm. because I'm a, just a no, I only buy, well, like I said, I only buy things I yeah. want, really. Un- unless it turns up and it's bad, then that's why I send it back. But I still wanted the product. Yeah, It just turned out to not be what yeah. I wanted. What I noticed with Amazon, it'd be interesting to see if this happens in other countries as well. So obviously we, we have free returns within 30 days or whatever, and they're leaning on that as well. I've returned stuff outside that period and still mm-hmm. got the refund. Based on your refund request reason determines whether you get free returns or charged returns Ooh, i haven't seen that or personally experienced that before but i'm (laughs) i've i've i can't remember the reasons exactly but it was something like i think i said i've changed my mind okay yeah and if i and check when i said i changed my mind they said okay it's 3.99 you can drop it off at you know, the place around the corner. So the options all stay the same, but how you mm-hmm. do it, but there's just a three ninety nine charge. So I changed my reason to products not yeah. fit for use or Broken. something like that. And, and suddenly it was free. Yeah. So maybe there are people who, uh, I mean, obviously in CRO, I noticed little yeah. things like this. So that's probably why I picked it up. There are probably people who pay the three ninety nine yeah. and say, yeah, do you know what? I, it's, I've changed my mind. I don't actually want this yeah. anymore. Yeah, that's a, interesting situation i'm gonna do that the next time i try processing a return and see if it happens to me and i'll let you know if that happens in canada but i do see yeah shipping related questions all the time especially more so if you're a consumer product but the other thing that voice of customer has taught me more than anything is it's not just about when is this going to arrive and how much is this going to cost me to ship it's how discreet is this shipment or how discreet is this credit card charge? I would not have seen that concern if I didn't do surveying or live chat mining. So I was going to say, oh, just relate to the credit card charge, making sure you use the same name. Yeah. Well, like I've had it a number of times where there's a charge on my credit card. I'm like, I I don't know what this is. Yeah. And then after a little while, I managed to work it out, but the the name on the charge is completely different to the brand that I've actually bought. Yeah. You know, there are actually times where it's more beneficial for the consumer to have the name on the credit card not match the actual retailer's name. So yeah. I see this a lot with, in the past, I've worked on intimate wellness and like toys. 
And a lot of consumers, they want it to be discreet. Maybe they're, they live with their parents and they don't want their parents to see they're buying toys for themselves, you know, yeah. or they, they share a credit card with a parent or something like that. Like it happens a lot. You have young adults who want to buy things, but still are dependent on their parents and they really want to make sure that experience is as discreet as possible. So there's always an, it depends, but I've seen through voice of customer yeah, they don't want the brand name on the credit card because they don't want yeah. people to see it. But it, in some of those cases, I've seen examples of where brands say it says like the the name on the statement will be yes. this. Uh, like you know, we we post it in discrete um, packaging. Yes. The name on your on your statement will be yes. this, so that not not only do you know it's going to be discrete, but also if you're looking at, if you're looking at your statement, going what the hell was yes. this? You've got the information. No, and just wanted to sorry go on i was just gonna say and also there's something to be said about taking an image of the shipment itself so visitors can see with their eyes what this label is going to say and is this actually a discreet shipment yeah absolutely i just want to quickly go back to the returns feedback actually because that just reminded me of something i'm personally not a fan of quantitative feedback from customers okay and the return i mean that returns example is perfect reason why not I give the reason of, I mean, I've, essentially I'm telling brands their products aren't good enough when actually the reason is that I want to pay for my return. Mm-hmm. So I'm picking the right option. And I know that, again, maybe it's just because I'm in CRO or marketing, I know some of these tricks, but there are other websites where I've tried to cancel a subscription and I've deliberately chosen certain options mm-hmm. that I know are going to get me a discount. Mm-hmm. Right? So So many subscription boxes little hack to the list yeah. listeners so many subscription services now if you tell them pricing is the issue they will give you a discount yeah that's yeah. uh, almost guaranteed it's easy to bias your data when you rely on a set of pre-selected yeah. options to explain why you're maybe not satisfied that's why i love open-ended questions so much because you don't know what you don't know so to have the customer put it in their own words why they were satisfied that is way more valuable than, you know, people just like ourselves, just hacking it so that we can get a discount yeah. or free shipping. I mean, I, I learned this one of the seconds. No. Yeah, I think it was in, in my third job. When I joined, they have a, had a survey that was going out. It was one of the last e- onboarding emails if for people in their trial. And it was roughly, I think it was about a week or so after the trial ended. And it just asked, it was like, can you please give us some feedback on why you've chosen not to subscribe? And the options, it was it was just one question, about six options. And I think price was about 60% of the responses. Yeah. And I was just like, no way. Yeah. No, I don't I don't believe this. Given that we know people are this was a, a magazine service that I've I've mentioned many times on the podcast now. We know people have spent reading way more in terms of magazine value than they than that price of that subscription even in their trial period so i said that's not true yeah so i added a question and it was just can you please expand on your answer right and that's where i started to get you know all those people who said price and then had to answer what's wrong with the price like what does that even that's when they were saying it was oh you didn't have the magazines that i like to read or I don't read that many magazines and, and stuff like that. So it was mm-hmm. like, well, obviously in that ca- in that case, price is going to be an issue for them, but price isn't actually the reason yeah. that they're not 
they're not purchasing its value it all comes down to value and, and for them they weren't getting the value because we couldn't provide the service absolutely for them. so yeah that that's why i prefer yeah open-ended questions whenever i start with a client we go with open-ended questions absolutely. because you get so much better feedback absolutely. Um, and, and so much of it so quickly cool just before we wrap up what is a have you got a CRO tool that you'd recommend or maybe a category of tool if you don't want to be don't want to play favorites too much yeah so you should definitely listen to from a to b podcast hosted by myself and yeah. shiva manjuna <laughs> i'm like i'm half joking but yeah i do think especially if you're a junior experimenter we really reflect on the early struggles and frustrations of learning optimization for the first time so check it out but i'm a bit biased but in general the tool, it's quote unquote tool that I found to be the most impactful in my practice was the Experiment Nation community. It is just such a welcoming place to learn a new skill, pick up a mentor, make friends. And I credit it to a lot of my successes in this field. So check out Experiment Nation, get in their Slack group and have a good time in there. Yeah, it's a great channel. Podcast is good as well. I've I haven't listened to a huge number of episodes because I'm just very bad at listening to work-related podcasts. Uh, <laughs> I, I you make one. I, so I podcast with understood. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I I listen to podcasts mainly when I walk mm-hmm. the dog, and that is that's very much like switch off yes. time. So I've got a, a couple of comedy podcasts oh, that I listen to instead. Yeah, that's where I throw on true crime and murder stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just yeah, I just want stuff that you can just zone out. You don't, yeah, you zone out. You don't have to be thinking, oh, that was that's a great bit of information. I've got to note Absolutely. that down. And then you spend the entire dog walk just making notes on your phone yeah. and, and missing everything. <laughs> yeah, been, been there. Cool. Uh, final question. Mm. Have you got one final CRO tip? Yes. We kind of addressed that in this episode. It just came up naturally, but stop looking to other websites for all the answers to your CRO program. They probably don't have it figured out. Straight up, I have a client who's an e-commerce darling. They always get raved about for specific things that I tested that were just flat and absolute duds. So you don't know how things actually perform in the real world. Don't just blindly trust a best practice or what a competitor is doing because they don't have it figured out either. That's just, I hate, (laughs) the the best practice in CRO is to do your research and test things. That's the best practice, not sticky call to actions and buy now, pay later options and stuff like that. Just one thing to add to that. Yeah. When you're looking at other websites, right? you you don't know if they're testing. Yeah. Probably didn't. (laughs) Let's be honest. Uh, The number of businesses that are testing, they they probably didn't test it. So they don't even know if it's positive or negative for them. But also, and someone mentioned this to me the other day, they might actually be testing that feature right now Mm -hmm. and it could be a loser. Mm -hmm. Right, but you see it, you might turn up two, three weeks later, and and it's gone. Yeah. But you're not going to notice yeah. that. But one one that I have seen, which I really love, and it's stuck for quite a while now. I think it's a good couple of years. On Etsy, the way they do their delivery, their shipping estimates, you've got it's something like order placed today, seven to ten days order shipped. And then it either says like 21 days order delivered or it says an estimated yeah. date, which is roughly that period. 
I think it's a really great way of doing it. I tested it once, it didn't yeah. work. But I tested it on a retailer website and it, you know, thinking about it, it didn't yeah. make sense. Yeah, that's the thing. Context it works for a like handmade, yeah. Absolutely. The context behind Absolutely. it. But it works for them. So I'd like yeah. to think that at least I know customers that. requested that extra information given the nature of Etsy being a custom products website. Yeah, they were probably asking, yeah, yeah. like how long is this going yeah. to take? How long is it going to take to make this? Right? It's it's a lot of gift. Yeah. I, I imagine a lot of their trade is gift items. So yeah, when can I expect to receive this? I'm, I've got a, a birthday on this date. Do you think you can ship it to me by then? Absolutely. They're getting all this feedback. Turn it, you know, turn it into something that just tells yeah. people. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, that was awesome stuff. If anyone wants to reach out and find out more, what's the best way of doing yes. that? Yes. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just search up Tracy Laranjo. And I think I'm one of none. So <laughs> hopefully you find yeah. me. And yeah, I'd love to connect with you on there. Just shout out, send me a DM. And yeah, I love to meet new people. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, thanks Tracy. So much, Will. All right. A big shout out to Tracy for sharing her fantastic insights on the voice of customer. Today's discussion underscores just how crucial customer feedback is and how a simple collaboration with customer service can elevate our e-commerce strategies. The insight you can gather from just listening to your customers can help improve every aspect of your business, not just the website, but your advertising, product, fulfillment, and even customer service itself. Want to connect with Tracy and dive deeper into the world of customer-centric strategies? Find her on LinkedIn. If you've got feedback, queries, or potential guests you'd love to hear from, do reach out to will at customersuclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, we've got Ben Levé joining us to talk about ROI in CRO. But until then, keep those customers clicking.